0: You're listening to Eric Rogel talks with warriors, lovers, kings, and heroes, where you'll hear
1: real stories of the journey to modern manhood, told by the men who lived them—raw, real, and 100% unapologetic. And now,
0: here is your host, Eric Rogel.
2: Hey, this is Eric Rogel, and thanks for joining us on Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes. This is where each week you'll hear real stories of the journey to modern manhood told by the men who live them. Now, today's episode is going to be a little different than the ones we've done before. It's uh, it's part bonus episode, part experiment. You know that in previous episodes, I've included a few minutes of the men's round table at the end. It's kind of a, a wrap up of what the guys took away from that episode. If you're not familiar with the men's round table, here, here's a refresher. It's a group of about 10 men. They're all close friends of mine. They're all from different backgrounds, all successful, and all committed to their growth as men. So they're some of the most highly aware men that I know. What I've been doing is I send them the audio of the interviews to get their insights. Then I invite them on a call and I record our conversations. And at the end of every episode, I include a few minutes of those conversations. And many of you have asked to hear more. You want to go deeper into our discussion so that's what I'm going to start doing this week, is give you a full episode of the roundtable so you can hear what we discussed, all of our opinions, all of our insights, and you can get what each of the men ultimately took away from the interview. Think of it as, um, think of it as an episode about the episode. So this week, uh, six of us got together specifically to talk about Paul Sr.'s interview. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend that you do. It's episode four. Paul Tuttle Sr., Heart of a Warrior, and it's my interview with the founder of Orange County Choppers and star of the long-running reality show, American Chopper. Paul Sr. opened up and he got real during his interview with me, and uh, he told us some things about his life that he rarely, if ever, talks about, especially the events around the broken relationship with his son, Paul Jr., and if you watch the show, you know that was the center of the drama on the show. Paul Sr. told us how he wanted to give Paul Jr. a better life than he had, uh, a life without the uh, same struggles, the same pain that he went through. But that actually caused a different problem. It caused a sense of entitlement and certain expectations. And that's what ultimately led to their problems. So during the roundtable, we talked about entitlement and father-son relationships. We also talked about being a sovereign, independent man, which Paul Sr. is very much an example of. And we talked a bit about the duty to give back. So joining me for the roundtable this time are uh, Tom Byrne. And Tom is an entrepreneur, CEO, and business advisor. He's also a husband and father of three grown women. We have Frank Antonucci. He's a sales exec at one of the top marketing solutions companies in the country. We have... uh, Alex Borgos, who is a former Marine who now runs Warrior Workshops through his company, Sovereign Self-Defense. I've taken the workshops. They're amazing. I highly recommend them. We have Mark Haney, who is a former top corporate sales trainer, is now a life mastery coach. And first, you're going to hear from John Archer. John's a former corporate guy who's now an entrepreneur. He's got multiple businesses, and he's also a key member of our Warrior Lover Kings and Heroes podcast team. John kicks off the conversation around entitlement.
1: There was one specific instance uh, with, my, with my dad where you know, I, I was not very happy with him at the time, but I can totally see what he was trying to do and it really kind of helped me. Um, I was in college, coming back, and I wanted a job. And I asked my dad, you know, and he was a vice president at this company, and I said, hey, can you get me a job where you work? And he said, oh yeah, sure, I can get you a job. And I was feeling pretty good, like I'm gonna have some kind of cushy office job or something. And uh, he took me in and basically got me a job on the factory floor running a rubber press that uh, made automotive parts. And it was a tough job. And it wasn't the, a good shift either. It was 3, to a, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. And, uh, you know, I don't know anybody in this town. I'm working 3 to 11. Um, really no time for a life either. You know, you work from 3 to 11, you go home, you kind of sleep and you wake up and go right back to work. And I was really, really pissed at him. I thought I was going to get a job working for him. And he kept saying to me, oh, you know, it's going to build character. It's going to build character. And he wouldn't even come out and, and, you know, try to get me a better shift or come out and do anything special for me. It was like, yeah, you want a job? Here's here's the job you're going to get. And he said, I could have got you a better job, but I didn't want to do that. Needed to experience this. I had lots of arguments with him about it. And um, that was like my second year in college, but I could really see the value in that and experiencing that, you know, working
2: in a factory with my hands. Here's Tom. Um,
0: you know, what, what came to mind for me with what Paul went through and having raised three daughters and, you know, myself starting with a family that my parents didn't go to high school, uh, lower, you know, lower middle class, um, you know, we didn't have a lot. And so as I got to a point of having, you know, to a point of building my career and having more wealth than my parents, you know, I kind of came back to that old notion that I think a lot of us grew up with, that we want to have, have our kids have a better life than we have. And because of that, you know, I gave them more, where I started, you know working multiple jobs and going to school at the same time, I wanted them to have a little bit more of a balanced life going to school, you know, focus on your work, uh, focus on your school, still work, but, you know, have a little bit more balance than I had. And I think if you push that too far, then you go to what Paul talked about with Paul Jr. It's a sense of entitlement. Uh, So it's this thing where you, you want better for your kids, but if you overdo it, you really damage their uh, their hunger and zest and work ethic, or at least have the the potential of doing that. And, and, and so it's kind of finding that balance of how do you kind of give them a little bit more than what you have, but not overindulge. And John, like your father did, you know, get them a job, but it's not, we're not going to give you a cush job. I'm still going to give you a job, but you're going to kind of work your butt off. And have that grit and that the development of that character, which is really important for a man or in the case of having three daughters, um, of growing you know, young women as well. So it's, it's an interesting balance of giving them enough, but not too much. Uh, yeah. and, and, and keeping that, that uh, zest, that zeal, that passion, uh, and not taking it away from them.
2: This is Mark.
3: Yeah, I can kind of relate to what both of you are saying because like with I grew up very much like what John did. I mean, but we didn't get paid. I mean, I started at 12 and my dad would take us to work and I mean, we worked at his business and we didn't get paid. And you know, we did all kinds of things and then kind of along the lines of what you were saying, Tom, it's it's interesting because You know, I've raised three kids and they were spread out, um, you know, pretty well. And, you know, practice makes perfect. Um, You know, the first one, you know, I just spoiled them rotten and they grew up entitled and you you learn as you go. So I I had the advantage of being able to experience that. And, you know, by the time I got to the third one, I mean, he was so self-sufficient he understood the value of working hard because he grew up that way. And I mean, you know, he was within three years out of college, he had paid for all of his own schooling and he was, he had it paid off. But I mean, when he went, when he went to college and he went to a private school, he, um, you know, he worked every summer. He had jobs going all the time. He had good grades. So, you know, yeah, it's just, it's different. It's, it's, it's unique situation in that, I got to experience it spread out more, so
0: could kind of learn from that. But boy, well, I could surely relate to what uh, Paul Senior was saying. Yeah, Mark, it what, what comes to mind is you know, as a new father, new mother, you're in your 20s. Um, when we raised our daughters, my father had had passed, and so I kind of knew what I knew, um, and, and grew up in a loving family and stuff like that. But uh, what comes to mind is is you're kind of learning as you're going just like you said you became uh more educated made better decisions as you went further along and i can see the same thing with with uh my daughters even though it was not as spread out but i think that really kind of goes to the fact of you know like role models in our society um whether it be somebody that's personally with you or that you kind of see in society or some of the people, the men that were Eric is talking to on the podcast to say, you know, here is that balance. Uh, Because again, you're, you're in your twenties, you're raising kids or if in your thirties there's not a, really an instruction manual. There's lots of books on, you know, how to do this. Exactly. But as far as, you know, that right order um, how to, how to raise them with with the, the right balance of uh, masculine command, but that, yeah, you know, the loving feminine and stuff like that, is a, a bit of trial and error. Trial and error. And um, even if you kind of grew up in a great, great home, it's still something that is learned. And a- again, like like we said, doesn't they don't come with an instruction manual? Yeah.
3: yeah, because I resented my gran- or I resented my dad for making us work for free. But you know, my grandfather. Uh, he was a World War II vet. I mean, he was just, when I was a kid, he was my hero. And it was funny because when he would come, I would do, I would go to his house and work like a dog and I would do anything and I respected it. But it was outside of that parental guide. He was one of my heroes growing up. So I think that's a great point about the importance of having a good, uh, for lack of a better term, right order masculine role model slash hero.
2: And here's Frank.
3: I completely agree. And it's something I
4: struggle with at times. And I try to remain aware of with my son and my daughter is, is, you know, focusing on giving them what you never had opposed to focusing on teaching them what you never knew. And that's, that's kind of a simple way that I, and a simple you know, quote that I keep in mind that that helps me keep that focus. Because um, the other thing tied to that from Paul Senior that stands out. I mean, I think by anyone's measure, his upbringing was extremely tough, and that's not something anyone would want for their children. But at the same time, those extreme challenges are what made him who he is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's like Frank. The question is, how how do you get that same experience for your kids without having to have them go through that. Right. Right.
4: And that, and that's where that quote, again, a, v- a very simplified way to look at it, but that's keeping that in mind is what's helped me again. Yeah. Focus on teaching them what you didn't know, you know, to try to teach them those lessons opposed to just giving them what you didn't have.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, Cause yeah, certainly you don't want your kids to go through any of those traumas, but you want to make sure that the lessons learned from going through that, they still, you know, are, are, are still
3: instilled in them. Yeah, and, you know, like with Paul Sr., I mean, uh, very fortunate that, you know, he at least had the role model of his uncle. You know, while it wasn't what we would call, you know, ideal, but at least he had somebody who was giving him attention and inputting some value into his life.
2: Yeah, and I think if you if you listen to it, not only was he inputting value, but he says that his uncle was the only one that was – uh spending any time with him exactly right his parents weren't there at all but his uncle was coming in and while he wasn't an ideal role model right alcoholic gambler wasn't an ideal role model he was actually um you know he spent time that was what was important back then he spent time and he encouraged his creativity so I think that's an example where you know what you don't have to be the perfect man you don't have to be perfect but when you're just spending that time and that attention in some instances is really all that you need to put somebody in the right way. Yeah. Cause look at it, He was, he was built. And I mean, I did those plastic models
3: growing up all the time. And I mean, yeah. it was every little piece goes together and just look at how, you know, I mean, he would speak to it better than I, but you can see how that sparked an interest because you learn how the engines go together. You learn the parts. I mean, it was really kind of cool. And then to see, he creates this whole Orange County choppers and does all the work that he does with the motorcycles. I mean, that was just, I just thought that was
1: really fascinating. Yeah. And Eric uh, from the episode around uh, coach Rick, you know, he said the same thing. It, it's time. And there's a quote that we had out there about that too. It's just, you know, how do you show kids love or whatever that was? And it's just time. That's it's all it was. It was very simple.
0: Right. Yeah. It, it, and beyond that, it's, it's exactly that. It's that, you know, focused attention. And connection that they're really looking for, um, rather than you know, might, people might think, oh, they want gifts. It's money. It's it's no. It's it's that attention, knowing that they're cared for, knowing that they're loved, uh, knowing that they're important, knowing that they're special, um, and, and that's the true value. And um, often that's lost um, because of this kind of fast-paced world that we live in. That there's so many things to do or so many distractions that uh, just that focused attention. And, and, and that's true for, for people in general. I mean, that's what I think uh, people are longing for, again, particularly in this multimedia world, is focused attention, connection, and um, you know more community more than anything else. Here is Alex. I'll jump in here
5: because I've also raised uh, four daughters. So I've gone through it myself. And the um, thing that we're saying, and it hit me at one point, many years ago when I was still married I was having a conversation with the mom and within that conversation it hit me profoundly that oh you're telling to do certain things to avoid pain and some things you just can't avoid or if you do all of us go through challenges they don't have to be as dramatic as Paul Senior's childhood or My childhood, I connect with them a lot because they're very similar in that way. I didn't didn't have a role model until I went in the Marine Corps, literally. Um, So my point was, if you take away certain lessons of teaching what we call now the core values, and there's only one way to do that, figure it out, fail at this, bump your knee, get back up, you know, what this overly protecting is like putting on bubble suit around somebody's soul. And without that foundation of feeling that challenge and overcoming it, you're building your psyche on sand basically. And then you, you, and then you're not doing your kid any justice at all. It's actually the opposite. You're doing them a disservice. And especially if with me having four daughters the value of that for me has been standing my ground for what I know is right. Let let me tell you, and and Tom will know this one well and and so will Mark, but there ain't nothing that'll bend your will. Like a little girl with her eyes, just pouty going, but daddy, I don't want to do that. You're like, Oh man, what the hell am I making (laughs) this kid do? Oh, I'm such a horrible human being, but there's that voice in me that knows it's right and says, Hey, Got to do this, you know? And um, I was just out with my oldest daughter here recently. And and after I was divorced, living in a separate house, they came to my house and I had to be putting up a fence that weekend. What are we doing this weekend, daddy? Well, we're putting up a fence. And I'm at it, there with drills and saws and in the heat, Florida, summer. And they are like, what the hell? They went back complaining to their mom. Anyways, we're at my daughter's house doing something. She goes, daddy, remember those weekends doing the fence and all that stuff? She goes, I really appreciate you did that. She got to it in her 20s, you know? She's a capable woman now. So I guess the roundabout point of that is just, it's actually a character building for a man too. And, Learning how to stand your ground against that or or stand for what you know is right in the face of that much love and cuteness.
0: Woo!
2: <laughs> it's a lesson <laughs> for sure. I was just going to like hammer home the point that I think a lot of what we're talking about is with a lot of these kids, they, they may hate it in the moment. Like John, what you said, and Alex, what you were just saying, and even some, what you said, Mark, it it may hate it in the moment, but at some point in their young adulthood, they go, wow, that that was really, you know, I got a lot out of that. I didn't realize it at the time, but now I do. And thank you. Yeah. yeah. My my youngest son didn't
3: help with the projects around the house. And it was funny because I was talking to him a while back and he just bought a house and he's trying to remodel it and he says to me I wish I would have paid more attention and helped more when you were doing all those homes because I redid a lot of our houses and you know he was always doing stuff so I just let him do his thing so I really liked what Alex was saying about there is the value in what he was doing and what my dad did and hey it's not everything is just fun and games life is about work it's about a balance
1: yeah. And, you know, I know Alex, you talk about this a lot, you know, that, that Marine drill instructor you had and, and then all of us, we probably had teachers or coaches and, you know, we didn't like very much at the time, but then you look back on it and you're like, wow, okay. Uh, he's my favorite coach or, you know, he's my favorite guy now because it created yeah. an environment where, you know, Hey, yeah, you have to, I think Frank, you touched on this, like, okay, well, I have to create this environment or, or teach them without having them go through it. And it's like, yeah, the, the lesson there is, Life is going to throw you challenges, and, and it's how you take them on and, and how you persevere and how you get through them is what grows you.
4: Absolutely. And I think, the, you know, Alex mentioned the story about his daughter helping him, you know, build a fence, and it, it brought up the memories of me growing up. And my buddies still rip on me to this day. Like, I was that guy that every weekend I, had, I was doing something for my father, raking leaves, doing something in the yard. And at the time, I mean, I hated it. <laughs> You know, absolutely hated it, but I think it was a great example of that's a very lighthearted way, certainly not some traumatic way, but at the time, you know, at the time, it's all based on your perspective, so it seems like such a big deal, but it was those little things of just, hey, this is your responsibility, you have to do this, you're part of this family, that instilled instilled that work ethic, again, in a in a positive way,
3: you know? Absolutely, yeah.
4: You know, you want that pair of sneakers? All right. That's about five times. That's about, you're going to mow the lawn about seven to eight times, and you can get that. Opposed to, you know, I find myself, my son asking, and it's like, wow, I'm so happy I can just, it's not a big deal, but I'm missing I'm missing that lesson I was taught.
2: Hey, Frank. You, you want, want dinner? Day, do you to <laughs> right. and go? If I want to buy that shirt, it's five lawns.
4: Right. Exactly. That's how the currency was divvied up in my house. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
2: my dad, would you want to eat dinner?
3: (laughs) Tar the roof.
2: So one of the things with with Paul Sr. is very, very sovereign, trusts himself. It's all about, you know, his decisions, what he wants. And obviously, if you've seen the show, you know that he gets, you know, (laughs) he will scream and yell until he gets his way. That's his uh, method of doing it. But uh, I want to get your feel around for yourself about being that that sovereign. I mean, here's a guy who just knew what he wanted to do. He built several businesses. He did it his way. He did it however he had to do it. And now basically it's, it's his way or the highway, literally. So give me some feedback on that. Eric,
1: what really kind of got me was his, his just commitment to that. And when I say that, what comes up is the part in the interview where he really kind of is exploring his feelings around his son. And he says like, yeah, I, I, I like him, you know, or, you know, I love him, but I really don't like him. And, and all that stuff he had to do to separate himself from there, to stick to what he believed in. And, and that has got to be very difficult as much as you love your own son to be able to just say, you know what, I have to stick to myself and, and do what's right for me, even though it's my son we're talking about here. And that just shows that level of commitment that, is is rare i think in these days yeah i'll jump in
5: and this one hit me a lot too because i'll go through it myself the more i've uh, transformed my own life become a better man those closest to me um i've also it's brought a lot of hate also it's brought a ton of hate and it's taken a lot of fortitude and just saying no i know this is the right thing and sticking to my guns if you will. Yeah. And they come around and it's in waves and sometimes they love me and sometimes they hate me. But the only thing that doesn't waver is my own commitment to being a better person and a better man, being sovereign and being my true self all the time. And uh, it's, it's been a lesson to build that for myself too. As he has done, there's a great song by a country star called Paul. uh, His name is Paul Thorne. He's got a country song. It says, I love all my family, but I only like half of them. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good i I gotta get a copy of that because i can feel that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, from a psychological standpoint like listening to a lot of jordan peterson he's like man yeah family's supposed to be this loving thing or something but as a clinical psychologist over the years he's like you won't believe the the hell and horror that family will bring to you trying to keep you in the same place it's like one of the major obstacles to claiming your own uh, sovereignty is standing up to family for what you want Yeah, absolutely.
2: You know, I can feel something around that. I'm going to jump in real quick. But Alex, when you say that, what I really feel is there's that interesting, you know, based on what we just talked about, that interesting kind of push-pull where, you know, the father or the mother wants you to be able to stand on your own. But then when you start to do that, there's that like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want you standing on your own that much. Right? I mean, you guys feel that? At all Definitely. that pull from the parents, like, go stand on your own, but not too much. <laughs> I want you to stand on your own exactly
3: how it is in my mind. Now go do it. <laughs> well, it's like from the time you're born until you're five, you're taught to walk and talk. And then for the rest of your life, you're told to sit down and shut up. <laughs> yeah, but what I really felt around, you know, what about Paul Sr. And just listening to that whole thing was, you know, for me, it's. When I put my attention on sovereignty, my sovereignty, it's like for the longest time I would get overwhelmed with just what the beliefs I had in the in the definition of that word. But what I really felt around um Paul senior was just genuine i mean you know and and that's and that's what I came to learn about sovereignty is it's like just being really genuine and getting real about what it is that I want in life and how it is that I feel and you know, keeping your attention on what that is and then just being really yourself full out. And that's what I felt he was. And I mean, it was really impressive because when you look at his, his upbringing, man, you would think that he just would not have turned out to be such a success but it was actually part of that upbringing that made him into the man and made him learn to stand. I loved what he would say back in the day, we didn't get an attorney, we just, I just go in there and beat your ass.
2: Yeah, that was it, just took care of
3: it right then and there, right? I mean, yeah.
2: It's it it. like,
3: how cool would that be if it was still, if we could do away with attorneys? <laughs> I, mean, I think part of that would still be kind of cool. Unless the guy's yeah. bigger than me, then I'm not gonna like it so much. <laughs>
0: you know and and going back to his upgr- upbringing you know besides the sovereign and I think they're tied in, but also just uh how he he is the true essence of a self made man you know nothing was given to him, everything was earned you know absolutely yeah grit, which to me is really the for a man really the highest uh, i think achievement that you know you came from nothing and and you can make an argument with with uh with Paul, that he came from less than nothing. I mean, it was an abusive, uh, situation and you know, what he's created, um, you know, is amazing. And then how he now has kind of in the, the latter part of his career, how he's given back. Uh, but again, going back to that sovereignty of being self-made, I built it, uh, on my own and, you know, together having this, um, level of commitment, passion, high ethics, high standards that, you know, people may take as bullying because of the shouting and stuff like that. But it's no, this is what I take is this is my business. I built it. Um, This is a reflection on me. Every product that comes out of the shop is a reflection of who I am. And because of that, my standards are, you know, at the highest level. And if you can't live up to that standard, then go someplace else. But if you're going to be in my shop, you're going to live by my standards, my rules, and my level of, of the, you know, service and quality that I'm giving to the customer. Yeah.
3: It's true passion. I think that's what you pointed out, Eric. And that was that, you know, when you watched it, we always thought it was like just the gruff yelling man, but it was just, he was just really passionate about what he did
2: yeah he is truly, and that that was actually one of the next topics I wanted to cover was you know the feeling of this <clears throat> you know the 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 drive for excellence, the passion to have everything excellent, perfect, in the face of everyone around you just thinking you're this out of control beast, yeah you know and and just wanting it that way anyway, and striving for it and and knowing his background now, you can understand where the yelling and the stuff comes from. But you know, what I really felt around it was passion. So if you guys, you know, let's discuss some of that. Passion you have for excellence, the drive to get things done the right way in the face of whatever anybody comes at you with.
5: I connected a lot with them and it made sense why I like the show too, because we come from very similar upbringings, if you will. And I am a very, very similar around the house and around other things too. And when you come from those upbringings, you don't have a choice. There's no middle ground. You understand? It's like the middle ground when you're around a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts and, you know, mentally dysfunctional people or something. The middle ground still sucks. So you can't be half a drug addict. You know what I mean? You can't be half an alcoholic. It's either, okay, I'm going to be A or I'm going to be B. And to be your sovereign, passion itself, and you just know what it takes to get done, and that's making a decision. No, there's no middle ground. You need it to be the best or you know, the ceiling on guys like him and us or the floor better. It's like, well, if the floor drops out, we know how far it can go. And there's a lot of motivation to not go anywhere near that ever again in life. And that only comes from
1: doing things right. Yeah. And Alex, I mean, with, with him too, it's like that, that's how he got to where he is. And, and when you're put in that situation, if you're not that you're not going anywhere. And it's to me, that's just a a motivating factor in myself, when I listen to that episode, I say, "Okay, well, do I want to be excellence, or do I just kind of want to hang out and stay here?" And the realization that being excellence and being passionate about that and not settling for anything less is the only way you're moving forward. Right, which can be applied to anything and
5: to anyone in any situation. Details could be different, but it's the formula for success, and if you take all the greats, they have very something very similar.
2: Yeah. And yeah. What it brings up for me is he fought for everything he had to get. Right. So it stands to reason that fighting your whole life to get every single thing that you have, that when you have achieved quote unquote success built, a you know, multimillion dollar business, you're still fighting for that excellence. You're still fighting to keep what it is. Yeah. Oh, because you sure, yeah. learn
3: at an early age to fight, to get what you want. And, you know, you see it across a lot of like, um, You know, in a lot of sports, a lot of the top athletes were very underprivileged, you know, at an early age and they learned to fight. And it was like that drives that. I mean, if you stop fighting, then you're not going to eat or you may die. I mean, some of the upbringings that these guys grow up in, it's like if you stop fighting, stopping is not uh, not a possibility. It could cost you your life. And so it's like they learn that drive and then it becomes determination. And, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, when I read some of the stories, you know, just about some of the athletes and how they've overcome and how they achieve because of the pure determination of, I'm not going to do this. And this is not how I'm going to live. Yeah, I just find just, that to me is just very uh, impressive.
4: Um, The one thing that stands out as well with his overall persona, which a lot of people viewed as, you know, being a bully or being a jerk, being overly aggressive. If you look at anyone that has done great things, you know, it's a lot of that same, same uh, perception from the outside world, you know, even, even across all industries, Mark, to your point, sports, you know, Kobe Bryant, like guys, guys, an asshole, you know, no, he is just so focused on what he needs to accomplish. He could care less when anyone else is going to think, you know, Steve yeah. jobs, similar kind of perception of him. You really have to be that sovereign and yeah. be that defiant of what anyone else is coming at you with, um, to just, you know, to reach your goals
2: and and focus on your passion. Yeah. Fully totally self-expressed. Yep. One of the things that got me on this was, his love of children and especially Mm -hmm. um, special needs, mentally challenged children and adults Mm -hmm. and animals. And I think I said this during the thing that it was about the innocence, right? It's about that, that innocence, but to see a guy or hear from a guy that tells you, um, you know, he's this fighter, he's at a battle for everything, you know, alcoholic and drug addict, uh, recovering alcoholic and drug addict um, in the, in the upbringing that he had, that he just has, this special place in his heart, this love for children and those with special needs, really it's something that I I didn't expect. And how he felt now this was his duty to kind of pay this forward and use his, the celebrity use his resources to help these people. Um, What did you feel about that to see this really incredibly sensitive side of this man?
4: To me, it was something that I think, you know, comes from his childhood, which again, certainly men like him that may have, you know, high achievers don't always do what he's doing by giving back. But to me, you know, it was a, it was the connection of, you know, it was something he never had as a child. You know, he never had that, that love and for him to get it back, I could only imagine, you know, how, how amazing that makes him feel.
3: To me, it just speaks more into the last topic that we were talking about, about the sovereignty, right? I mean, he is just a man of genuine. He's just a genuine human being. And it's like, because, you know, you see him on that show and he's so gruff. And I remember watching the show and thinking, man, he's a prick. But it's like, you know, it's, it's everything's always a viewpoint. And when you see the, when you, really hear his side and it's like to see uh the softness and hopefully he's not listening and hearing me saying he's soft but
0: <laughs> this I'll make the sure he sin- hears
3: him, mark I'm going to send him a clip of this yeah you know but just the sincerity I guess you know like when he was talking about you know whether it was you know he has a passion for the the handicapped kids and then you know the the examples he gave where the cancer patients and he went so far out of his way, I mean, but it wasn't like you know, for recognition or somebody, look at me, he just did it for that individual. And then when he was talking about um Joni, you know and and the impact, it's like, here's this big, powerful, gruff man, yet he fully embraces his sensitive, loving side. And I guess the biggest takeaway for me was, you know, as he was saying in the interview, that was never, uh, there was never an example of that for him. And yeah, I mean, I just yeah, the the whole interview was just very impressive. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't know the word to put in there, but
1: yeah. And Eric, for yeah. me, for me, what kind of was really awesome to to hear is. I remember on the first episode zero when you were describing what a warrior was and then a lover and then a King and then a hero and how people kind of progress through that journey and they end up as the hero. That's like the ultimate goal. And I just feel like that whole interview was that progression in perfection, exactly what you described in episode zero. And to hear this guy being this hero and what he went through all those stages. And now he is embodying this hero archetype. I just thought it was a, really awesome example of our archetypes and how you move through them. It was amazing.
0: Yeah. I All think said, man, one of the things that is really interesting is when, when Paul uh, talked about that one day when the kids came in um, from make a wish foundation and, and he reflects back on it later in the interview and talks about it being, I forget what the word was, but basically it was a pivotal point in his life. It really changed his life. And if you go back, what's really interesting, he says, you know, uh, the day those kids came in, they hung out, and it just felt real. And, you know, to me, that was like the core, is that all these other people were trying to take from him, and these kids really just sought that, you know, they wanted to be there with him. And I, and I think that's that common theme of – you know, the kids, uh, the special needs kids or adults that are just real. They're authentic. They're, they're, there's no bullshit. There's no filter, you know, um, or, you know, the dogs, you know, they're loyal, so on and so forth. And it just feels like throughout his, real, his, his entire life, he didn't have those people that just were real connected, focused on him until, you know, the kids and then with Joni later on. And uh, again, I think it's, it's, it's profound how it changed him. Uh, but again, it's just that authenticity, simplicity, no filter of these people that he really connects with more than the everyday adult that has some ulterior motive. They're trying to get something, uh, take something, you know, whatever the case may be. So just, I think, really, Profound that that connection, how and how he feels, just so more, so much more comfortable with that realness, authenticity, uh, and simplicity of uh, of those individuals.
2: You know, Tom. I think we, as you're saying that, what's bringing up for me is, I think he connects with them because he's real and genuine himself. You know what I mean? I he, agree. Yeah. He's not really looking for anything for anyone. He's not looking to bullshit anybody this is who I am. This is how I live. I just want to be, you know, real raw. And he, he gets that from these other people, from the kids, from the, the people with special needs. They're, they're not, there's no ulterior motive. They're real and raw, just like he is. Yeah.
3: And I really liked it the, towards the end when, you know, he said something like, Joni was feeding him lines and he was talking more about the relationship and how she's strong willed And, you know, when I was putting my attention on it, it was like, here he has this strong feminine in his space. And, you know, he was like, he was totally different with her than what you've ever seen of him, you know? And when you, you become aware of all the things that he does with the kids and what was really cool about it is he can show this soft side, you know, and he can be sensitive and he can be caring, but he never gives up his masculine persona he never sacrifices his masculinity and I think that's one of the key things that I took from this is it's like so many times we feel if I'm going to be sensitive or I'm going to do stuff with kids then that I'm not being a real man and I mean and tell Paul Senior he's not a real man (laughs) I mean I just I really like that I mean it was it was really unique to see that that sensitive side and the caring side. And it is the genuine human human being, you know? And it's like, my belief is that we all have it in us. It's just, what do we do to foster it? Or do we have the courage to let it out, to show it?
1: Yeah, or what beliefs are in the way, you know?
3: Right.
5: For me, I yeah, it makes sense. I also get along well and, and have an affinity towards animals. and. and stuff like that. The thing for me is when you grow up in an environment like that, your intuition and your level for dealing with any type of bullshit is very low. So I could deal with a guy with Tourette's or Asperger's, like whatever flies out of his mouth is is truth. Then I'm like, okay, I could deal with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went to a barbecue, somebody, one of these, it was like a 20 something year old with Asperger's. Before I got there, everybody's like, Walk on eggshells. Be careful. Yeah, we're having a conversation. I laughed. I thought it was great. And I go back inside to get a beer. and One of the people was like, we really appreciate you being nice to him. And then it kind of like went over to me. I was like, well, he's the realest conversation here.
2: And that's the key, right? Always being real. Paul Sr. is always real and always true to himself, which is what makes him such a favorite. Because you know what you're getting with Paul Sr. At the end of the discussion, I wanted to know what each of the men took away from the interview, what lessons they had learned, and what they were going to integrate into their own lives after listening. Tom leads us off.
0: You know, for me, it was, uh, particularly to Ron, in talking about the work that he does, and and, and I think when you get to a a period of time in your career in your life, that it's more about what you're doing for people of the world uh, than anything else. And... Certainly, you know, he talked about, you know, going to bed at night and it's about the lives you touch, the -hmm. impact that you made rather than, you know, the money you made during the day. And uh, at least in my experience, as I've matured, I I begin to more and more realize that and appreciate that that's where you get the pleasure Um, in what you do for others rather than, you know, certainly the monetary benefit or anything like that. And um, I think he's seen that grow and grow, you know, more over time. And it was interesting how, in, in a way towards the end, I felt that in looking, him looking at Paul Jr., it was almost like I feel bad that he's not growing up with that type of attitude and, and how much he's really missing. Um, and, and I thought that was kind of a maybe a touching point at the end and just kind of an underlying feeling of almost like sadness for him that you know here's there's real value of thinking outside of yourself um and you know maybe that other people aren't doing that
2: and this is mark's takeaway
0: yeah, for me, it would be you know
3: i mean I used to watch. Orange County Choppers all the time. I loved it. I mean, I loved the show. And, you know, in listening to the interview, you know, certainly all the points that we've discussed, you know, are very relevant, you know, the sovereignty and just the way he's very genuine and and caring. And it's like, that's great. But when I listened to the whole interview, I guess the biggest takeaway for me is when I would, when I would watch the show, I had a perception or a belief about who he was or what he was and I only saw what was available to me you know, I was only processing what information was there and when I look at that and then I hear this interview and I see wow this is a totally different man than what I really thought it's like so then what I do is when I take that back to real life it's like where do I do that with, you know, people in my life now, whether that's friends or family or whatever, where it's like, you know, I just kind of prejudge or kind of do that. And it's like, man, you need to step back and take a, you know, a different perspective and maybe get to know them more or just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that's enough on that. I guess just my takeaway. It's like, boy, I get this perception about somebody and I just want to hold on to it. And then you find out it's not really true. And it's like, I really thought that was a very powerful uh, interview. And I think, uh, you know, I think he's a really great man. I think it was definitely a good choice for the, uh, the series
1: here, for sure.
2: This is what John got out of Paul's interview.
1: Yeah, for, for me, Eric, it was the, – the interview was, was awesome. I love listening to it all. But when, as soon as he shifted into talking about the kids and what he's doing now – it's that hero that really just like exploded for me. It was like, wow here. And that's when I really started getting a little bit emotional about it and listening to him and just yeah. thinking this is the hero that I want to be and, and striving for that type of passion for, for the kids and passion for giving back. And you know, that, that's what really stood out for me. And it was right at the end, which was perfect because it's like, bam, it hits you. And you're like, wow, if this guy can, can do this and get through what he got through and here's where he is today. Uh, any anybody can do it, and you know, from from less of a challenge uh, to get through all that.
2: Here's Alex. For
5: me, what I took away from it at the end of it, it's you know one continuous thing, like like John was saying, the journey, the hero's journey, really. And my biggest takeaway was be yourself and stick to it, and the rest of the journey will unfold. For me. Just being yourself and sticking to it a hundred percent, no matter what kind of emotions come up or anything else. Just being yourself, trusting yourself, and get up and kick ass every day.
4: That's it. This is Frank. That was uh, what Alex mentioned. That was a big takeaway for me as well. Just Paul's his sovereignty, his authenticity, just trusting yourself at all costs. You know, I think in today's society, and I know for me personally, I have to own up to it that there's there's this bit of this, you know. Be this nice guy persona, where it's like when you're when you're being authentic, when you're being yourself, you know, trust yourself at all costs. And I almost think there needs to be some defiance in there, which Paul certainly certainly showed in his journey. You know, there needs to be a little bit of that defiance that yes, you know I did. really don't, you know, really don't give a shit what somebody else may think because I trust
0: myself that much. And that's uh, that was the the lesson I took from it.
2: And here's Tom's takeaway.
0: As I was saying before, for, for me, it's just that connection of looking back, you know, every day and saying, what impact are you having in the world? You know, beyond yourself and doing that self-assessment more often and say, okay, you know, what did I do today that was bigger than me? And just kind of continuing to reinforce and looking at your life and your impact from that perspective at the end of the day, I think is um real important and really reflective to say you know are are, are you really living the life you want to live and making the impact that you want to make for me one last thing it's you know what i a big thing that hit
5: me after all of this too what listening to it um Just listening to my self-commentary more, I mean, use the symbolism of him being on a TV show. When you're on a TV show, they edit a certain way and they put in what clips they want and they kind of tell a narrative, you know? When I was watching that show earlier, I thought the same thing, man, this is off the rails. Um, But then as I grew up, I, you know, as I matured in my own manhood, I'm like, oh, I I get it. You know, and I started a business, became an entrepreneur. Then when I watched the show, I watched it from completely different eyes. Same show, different result. And I just looked at my own self. Where was my own personal commentary? Where am I the editor and director and making some point of view of my own life? That's completely not it. I can write the story. I can edit it the way I want to. I was just being passionate and I'm sticking to my guns and this is who I am. You know, it's kind of like our movie. We can write it anyway. So my own commentary and my own brain sometimes just sticking to myself and trusting my, my intuition and just being more of myself.
2: That's what we got out of it, so now I want to hear from you. What are you taking away? What insights did you get from the roundtable you didn't get when you first listened to the episode? Let me know. You can find me on social media. The links are all on the website. That's WLKHpodcast.com. Click on them, come find me, leave a comment. Also remember to rate us, leave a review and a comment. And Most importantly, make sure to share this show with men you know will get value out of it. I want to thank the Men of the Roundtable for joining us today. I'll be putting their bios up on the site very soon, too, guys, with links to where you can find them in their businesses. Uh, Make sure to reach out to them, too, on social media. Remember, we're all here to build this brotherhood. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes today. I'm Eric Rogel, and I'm honored to be with you to be your brother on your hero's journey. I'll talk to you next time.